Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Let's start with Donald Trump's comments about Russia. I mean, this is something that should scare the hell out of every living American, that we got a president who says stuff like this and is either believes it or is so out of touch, it is scary. As Donald Trump with the Super Bowl interview last, this has become a tradition, Super Bowl on Fox News, Bill O'Reilly, why? Anyhow, he does, gets to interview the president of the United States, so last night he says to Donald Trump, what is it with this, this bromance between you and Vladimir? I do respect him. Do you? But Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, right. major fight, that's a good thing. Yeah, he's a leader of his country, right, who bombs the hell out of innocent civilians, innocent civilians in Syria. That's how he's helping us with ISIS, right, who invades a neighboring country and seizes their territory and we do nothing about it, who kills his political prisoners so it allows no freedom of expression or assembly or, or dissent in, in his country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I respect him. We'll get along with him. And even O'Reilly can't take that. He's got to bounce back. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. It's He's very a possible killer, I won't. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? What? You got a lot of killers. You think our country is so innocent? Guess what, Mr. President? Yes. Compared to Russia, I think our country is innocent. Look, we don't have to go into that. Yeah. We've got a lot of problems in this country. We've had a lot of problems in the past. We've done a lot of things in the past. You can name them. I can name them that we can't be proud of. But damn it, I'm proud of the United States today. And in terms of the opportunities that we offer, in terms of freedoms that we enjoy and the freedoms that we guarantee and the strength of our Constitution, not yet fully realized, but we're, we're well on our way and made a lot of progress uh, with uh, people of color, with, uh, with uh, women, with LGBT rights, uh, for, and, and opportunities even for the disabled. I mean, we've come a long way in our lifetime in this country. And to say that we're no better than Vladimir Putin's Russia is just, dis- it, first of all, it's wrong. It's disgusting. And you know what else I think it is? I think it's treason. It be- no American president has ever betrayed his country like Donald Trump did saying that we are no better than, uh, than, than, than Russia. And I, I think it raises three questions. I mean, what first, what is Trump thinking? And two, where do his loyalties really lie? I mean, what's going on with this? And I guess that which leads to the third question, what does Russia have on him anyway? And that's what uh, Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi got to yesterday, where she called for an FBI investigation on, on that very topic. What does Russia have on Donald Trump? I mean, why is it? that he's got this obsession 
who's saying nice things about Russia and nice things about Vladimir Putin, even again to the point of saying that Russia is just like the United States. We're no worse than Russia. Yeah, and they, they're no, they don't do anything that we, that we don't do, which is just wrong, 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 and dangerous. And I don't know what it is they've got on him. I mean, do they have, do they have like the CIA suggested, a videotape of some sexual shenanigans with Donald Trump and, and models in, when he was visiting Moscow? Or is it that he just owes him so much money and he's got so many loans from so many Russian banks that in effect they own him. I don't know, but I think Nancy Pelosi is absolutely right. We need that kind of an investigation. And by the way, we might know, except he hasn't released his tax returns and he hasn't released his business records. So we don't really know. It's a very murky area, but it's certainly suspicious looking. I think uh, that, that, uh, that that's one area where Republicans and Democrats ought to unite have a congressional investigation or an FBI investigation into exactly what Donald Trump's holdings are uh, in Russia. The American people have a right to know, and Congress has a duty to find out. Uh, we'll see what happens in the meantime. The thing, by the way, that I think is going to be so telling yeah. about all of this is for all of the Republicans to have to answer for this question. right? Oh, now, yeah. Even yeah. if it's not necessarily a question on... Uh, <laughs> what kind of interests he has in Russia, which I, I agree is worth looking at. But just his statement, just his comment. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? Yeah, you think our country's so innocent? For a party that has run so hard on American exceptionalism and patriotism and worn it out over the last right. several decades, right? Like, answer that question. Yeah. Answer that question. Do you agree with that statement? Do you think our country, our country is so innocent? Yeah, uh, uh, and and this, the, the reason this is significant, Peter, you touched on it. This cuts right to the core of what the Republican message has been, and and always is, uh, American exceptionalism. Right, we're the number one country on the planet. We're better than anybody else, morally uh, uh, superior to anybody else. And Donald Trump is just saying, Nah, no, we're not. We're no better than Vladimir Putin's Russia. Uh, and, and I think this is where you're going to see Republicans rebel. In fact, they've already started. Mitch Mc... It's a great honor to welcome back to the studio a good friend of ours, one of the most progressive members ever of the United States Senate from North Dakota, Senator Byron Dorgan. Byron, good to see you. Hey, good morning. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Have you ever seen anything like this trumpet? No, no, nothing even close. <laughs> yeah. Nothing even close. You know, uh, so well, I, I was. Mean, where do we start? There's so many, but well, I was just elected. In general, I was elected to the House during uh, the Reagan landslide that year, 1980, and and I, you know, we all. He was a, a an actor, but he'd also been governor of California two terms. Yeah, and yeah. We were all kind of wondering well, how could this happen. But the fact is, he was vastly different than Donald Trump. Donald Trump has never had any experience in, in any sort of governing. He, I mean, he's just way off the rails on so many things. It's hard to deal with him. And the, the other thing is, normally you deal with facts. Well, facts are not very relevant to him. No. Now, uh, of all the things that he's said and done, and every time we get to this juncture and we say, has he finally crossed the Rubicon, right? Has he finally gone too far? Yeah. When he tell in, to speak of the Super Bowl, he tells Bill O'Reilly last night. Uh, when Bill O'Reilly talks to him about, points out that Vladimir Putin, the man you praise, happens to be like a killer. Here's a, here it is. 
Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? Wow, you think, yeah, right. So basically, we're no, we're no better than Russia. That's just an ignorant statement. I mean, it, it really is. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think you deal with the, the problems with Putin. I mean, you know, invasions, uh, assassinations, all the things that are going on under Putin. I don't think you, you deal with that in any way by suggesting there's some sort of similarity here in the United States. That's just absurd. He should know better than that, but apparently he doesn't. Well, how do you think your Republican friends that you still have a few still in the Senate, right, yeah. react to something like I that? Think, I think many of them are quietly embarrassed, but ultimately uh, they're going to have to not be very quiet. It's going to be the responsibility, I think, of the Congress, and especially the majority in Congress, the Republicans, to rein this guy in. And do you think they will? I don't know. I mean, it, that, that's all about I, leadership. I mean, I think you look to McConnell, you look to Ryan and others. Uh, I, I really appreciate the things that uh, John McCain has been saying, Lindsey Graham and others. You know, they've had the courage to say, this doesn't stand. We, we, we won't allow this to happen. So uh, I think the Republicans in Congress are going to have to stand up. Now, the, the courts, obviously, this week, this past week has been pretty consequential with respect to the federal courts. Right. But, but you know, even Donald Trump... Uh, minimizes, the, the, tries to minimize the courts, a so-called judge. What a thoughtless, shameful statement about a U.S. federal judge. Right. And I was reminded, too, uh, the, d during the campaign, there was this judge in San Diego mm -hmm. um, who actually did Donald Trump a favor by delaying That's right. the lawsuit on Trump University until after the election. But Donald Trump said he didn't call him a so-called judge, but he said he could not uh, reach an objective decision because his parents were born in Mexico. He was of Mexican descent. Yeah. His parents were born in Mexico. He wasn't. Uh, so this, again, you know, th th this almost baseless attack on the judiciary. And the key is our system has checks and balances. I, I understand that, and, and and I hope all the checks and balances work. <laughs> but that's but that's not just the issue to to try to hold this guy in check who comes out with the most unbelievable things. But we need to move our country ahead. I mean, we need to make progress on a range of issues that are important to the American people and to the growth of the United States. And, and uh, you know, we're going to be spending full time playing defense against an administration that has ideas like, for example, uh, now they're going to take on uh, seeing if they can repeal Dodd-Frank. Unbelievable. I mean, we almost lost the entire economy. It almost went off a cliff about eight to ten years ago because of rampant gambling and others by, by some of the largest financial institutions. And, and we put in place protections to try to make sure that never happens again. He wants to take down the protections. What, what on earth can he be thinking about? Well, and wouldn't you say that Dodd-Frank itself was not as tough as some of us would have wanted? That's in, right. In terms of Dodd Frank was a step in the right direction. I said it was a baby step because the fact is uh, we didn't ban, for example, the trading of uh, trading of naked credit default swaps. Now people don't know what that, that that term is. I can tell you what a naked swap is. Naked credit default swaps is just flat out gambling, and some of our biggest financial institutions were doing it. We're in, doing it. In, yeah. yeah, absolutely, and pu and putting at risk the entire economy. We didn't ban them. So I the, Dodd Frank could have done more, and probably should have done more. But even with what they did, this administration, this new president, wants to repeal it. And the, as part of that, um, there is this prohibition or, or this requirement, I guess, that financial advisors mm -hmm. act in the best interests of the customer 
and not for their own personal right. profit. I mean, why doesn't it? Why doesn't? Why isn't that important? Why doesn't that? Why shouldn't that still be around? I mean, right? well, well, it's it, all it's all get it's all getting put in the same slop basket, you know, to use a farm term. Um, <laughs> the, you know, I mean, it, this administration and this guy campaigned saying Wall Street was a problem. Now he's he's hired most of Wall Street, and he says whatever you want, we're going to do for you. It's unbelievable. Right. Now I'm going to help my buddies. I think or something. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah. But I mean, how I keep coming back to this as an individual investor, right? If you hire somebody, whatever firm, Raymond James or right. Charles Schwab or whatever, I mean, it seems to me their responsibility is should be to Absolutely. in your best interest, not. How much money they're going it to make was called the, the fiduciary rule it was yeah. controversial uh but good policy and the first thing they want to do is get rid of it makes no sense right the cnn just did a poll um which came out just over the weekend uh his present approval rating donald trump's approval is 44 the lowest mm-hmm. of any president in our time our lifetime starting out disapproved 53 at this point two weeks in Ronald Reagan had a 51% approval rating, and George W. Bush had a 57% yeah. approval rating. You yeah. know, the thing is, I'm, I'm sure you feel like I do. We want any president to succeed. We want our country to do well. And it's a complicated world. It's a complicated economy. We want things to go well. But when someone goes to the White House and uh, and moves America in the wrong direction, we also have a responsibility to reach out and to say, Let's organize. You know, we, we, we need to change this. Well, that gets to the question: Is what what role do you think Senate Democrats should play in 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 all of this? And you know, I'm sure you still talk to a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, well, they have to be very aggressive here. It, it's it's interesting. This Supreme Court justice now, right? So uh, the Obama administration had a Supreme Court justice to appoint, and so they or nominate rather. So they nominated uh, Judge Garland. By all accounts, by everyone's account, an unbelievable jurist. Uh, he never got a hearing, right? I mean, right. that was that was the seat Obama was to fill. Now uh, Mitch McConnell and others say, well, but now we've got a new person. We 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 essentially took that seat away, and uh, and wouldn't even give them a hearing. In fact, many of them wouldn't meet with him. But now we have someone sent to us by President Trump. Now now we're ready to go. Now we run. We really want to move fast. Uh, Democrats have a right to be very angry about that and to say that's not the way the system works. Do you think they have a right uh, to treat him the way Republicans treated Merrick Garland, meaning no hearing, no vote? Well, they shouldn't treat him. Uh, I'll tell you what they should do. They should meet with him. All of them should meet with this candidate. That I mean, that's that's just a standard of respect. Democrats don't want to behave like Republicans did in that regard. You meet with him. Uh, you agree to hearings and so on. I don't know exactly... How this is going to stack up, we don't know what's going to come here with respect to Supreme Court vacancies, but uh, this is really consequential, Bill. You know, I mean, all the things that a Supreme Court could do if if we had uh, nine Scalias on the Supreme Court, we'd have the best life of the 1870s. Pamela Levy is a political reporter for Mother Jones, who joins us in studio this morning. Pamela, it's nice to see you. Good to see you. Here's Donald Trump, who ran for president um, as a friend of working-class Americans and taking Hillary Clinton on as the candidate from Wall Street, the senator from Wall Street. 
the Goldman Sachs candidate gave all those speeches to Goldman Sachs. You couldn't trust her to stand up to Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And what does Donald Trump do last week? He passes uh, or signs an executive order to lift all the restrictions that were put on Wall Street by the Obama administration, the so-called Dodd-Frank Act. What's going on? Yeah, I think that that's a point that folks should be making because it's completely incongruous with how he ran his campaign. Uh, But he didn't run his campaign on specifics. You know, he didn't promise that he would keep Dodd-Frank in place. He didn't say, I love Dodd-Frank. It's so important to regulate Wall Street. He sort of like spoke in these broad, you know, the working people are being brought down by, you know, the bankers and stuff. And then uh, he's turned, you know, but his his tax policy, for example, never looked like a progressive tax policy. Um, You know, when you looked at sort of the, the few, you know, concrete policies that he did put out during the campaign, um, they were not progressive. And and so I think you're seeing, you know, what, what happens when, you know, to an extent, Donald Trump has reshaped the Republican Party, um, certainly on, on issues like trade. They're still sort of sorting that out. Uh, and I think that it's fair to say that on other issues, the Republican Party has shaped Trump. If you look at, you know, pro-life, you know, uh, issues related to reproductive rights, for example, um, the... Uh, bent of the Republican Party has very much made its imprint on Donald Trump, and he's, you know, declared himself very pro-life, and he's, he's, you know, not going to try to fight the party on that one. Uh, and I think that, you know, Wall Street regulation, which uh, Republicans have wanted to roll back since it was passed in 2010, uh, is something where, again, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, in lockstep with his party. And, you know, he's, he's a really rich guy. He, he literally said this, you know, I have friends who can't get loans. I yeah. don't know if that's true or not, uh, or if Dodd Frank would be a reason for that. But um, just the fact that he sort of, you know, talks about you know wealthy people on Wall Street as just his friends who are good guys who are having a hard time, um, you know, says a lot about where he's coming from and how he thinks about these things. Well, what does this mean for the average uh, consumer? Well, Dodd Frank had a lot of protections in it for. Um, you know, to make sure that banks basically didn't do the things that they did leading up to the financial crisis. Um, And so I think, you know, it depends on how these regulations are rolled back. But I think that basically it means there are fewer protections and it means that banks can become riskier uh, and they can take more liberties with how they, you know, treat their their clients in in terms of of lending and and all of that. So Uh, particularly uh, um, this fiduciary responsibility rule. Yeah. Which... Yeah, yeah. So the fiduciary rule basically says, you know, uh, economic advisors or financial advisors have to work in the interest of their clients. You know, they can't. How radical. I know. I know. Right. I mean, I think I mean, I think, um, you know, basically people assume that their advisors are doing this anyways, because, you know, you're paying these people to help you. Which is not, I can tell you from my own experience, not necessarily true. It's absolutely not necessarily true. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean. You know, folks get kickbacks. I, I want to make backs. clear that's not my present financial advisor, <laughs> uh, just because I know he often is listening or watching. Uh, but, but in the past, I, 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 I... Yeah, I've experienced it too, actually. Um, uh, you know, folks come and they say, oh, you want to put all your money in these annuities, you know, and, and then you go research it and you go, oh, these yeah. aren't really a good deal, but you're definitely getting a kickback from the firm. Yeah, right. Uh, and, you know, I think, I have to say, I, I feel like the fiduciary rule is an example of really bad progressive messaging because they should never call it the fiduciary rule. It's really hard to like 
get people worked up about something with a name like yeah, that. Right. You know, it should Good be point. like the don't let advisors steal your money rule or something. And then it would be really hard to roll that back. Um, but people sort of assume that this is already in place because it's just sort of common sense that when you pay someone to advise you that they're not going to be secretly, you know, out for themselves first. Uh, and now that rule's gone, right? Or would be under Donald Trump's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that the um, uh, the Department of Labor, I believe it is, has to sort of sort out exactly how that is going to work. But yeah, I, that's, that's they should have called it the death tax. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. There, that's an, that's a good example. Exactly. Right. And what about the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau? Is it going to survive? I I think it will be tough. I think it will be really. I think it's possible that it will survive. Um, I think that you know it is. Elizabeth Warren's baby, obviously. Um, I think that progressives care a lot about it. And I think that there's a pretty strong case. I mean, you had the Wells Fargo case um, very recently where the Bureau really pulled its weight and showed what, what it was good for. And I think that there are other examples like that. Uh, you know, and it, so it depends on whether or not people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want to make that a really big fight. And I think that there are you know, I'm not a progressive strategist. I would assume that there are some reasons to to make that a big fight um, and to make, you know, there has to be some point at which you sort of, if, if Democrats want to win, they have to reclaim the we're not the party of Wall Street, we're the party of the working people. So they have to find that fight. Right. Um, and so it's possible that the CFPB could be that fight. Uh, whether they'll win or not, I don't. I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. You did make some reference to Donald Trump's tax policy. What do we know about his tax policy? I mean, I remember during the campaign at one point he says, oh, Wall Street's not going to like it because I'm going to raise their taxes. But that was early on. It has evolved since then, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think that at this point, you know, Donald Trump can't just write a tax plan and then hand it to Congress. He has to work with, you know, in particular Paul Ryan and folk, you know, and Jeb Hensarling of Texas and, and people on the Hill who um, have their own uh, agenda when it comes to tax reform and have wanted to do that for a long time. And so I think, and that's certain, those are certainly not folks who are looking uh, for progressive tax policy. Uh, the only thing that, that Trump could say dur during the campaign that was um, more progressive and that will be interesting to see if he actually holds on to is that he was for getting rid of the carried interest loophole, uh, which is exploited mm -hmm. by you know hedge fund funders and such. And so I think it will be interesting to see if he uh, continues to believe that and you know oppose folks in his own party in Congress on that one issue uh, or not, because that would be sort of his way of, of signaling to people that he's on their side, even if the rest of the tax policy is, uh, you know, massive transfer of wealth. To the but he wealthy. has specifically recommended now, I think, uh, since elected, uh, hasn't he, the lowering the um, the uh, personal income tax rate, the highest rate, whatever, for the wealthiest of Americans, and also uh, corporate corporate taxes. Yeah, I think that that's about right. It's a very confusing because he also has. Um, you know, floated some interesting policies as when it comes to trade in Mexico and whether or not, you know, they're going to sort of replace a corporate tax with a ta you know, like some sort of border tax. And it's I I have to admit I am not a tax yeah. policy expert on this, but I think it's sort of up in the air with what you know everyone's trying to do. I think that 
that was sort of floated last week as a way after the Republican uh, retreat to sort of fix everyone's problems. We're going to pay for the wall and get rid of the corporate tax and, you know, everything. And, and, and the result, I, I think, people will, will say, and people did say, and that's why the, I think the brakes were put on that a little bit, is that you're basically just shifting costs to consumers. Right. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. A good friend and a neighbor here on Capitol Hill. He's the Washington correspondent for USA Today, Mr. Paul Singer. Hello, Paul. Hello, Bill. How are you? What's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, trying to keep afloat another week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, so it's been two weeks, and um, those of us who do cover this territory, go to the White House briefings or not, are kind of out of breath because yeah. it's been, I mean, seriously, you have to run to keep up with this guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I showed just in the last uh, half hour, this is a two-page list of all the things we've accomplished from uh, Paul, from uh, Sean Spicer yeah. over the weekend. And then he put another page and a half of all the executive orders they've signed. This is all the meetings he held, all the people that he talked to. Um, what was actually accomplished. You know, some of the stuff is really interesting. F- uh, Friday was a good example because uh, there was an executive order on what this, you know, fiduciary rule, which is, you know, how you manage other people's money, basically. And it's a whole, the, the rule was uh, established a year ago to make sure that, you know, your broker is not, doesn't have a conflict of interest. So this executive order, they said on Friday, is going to roll back that rule, roll back that rule. And it's, it's blocking people from making cho- their own choices. Well, but if you read the order, the text of the order doesn't come out for several hours after the signing. You actually sit down and read the order at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. There's nothing in it. It says, Treasury Department, look at this. Think about it. Make a decision. It doesn't even, the implementation of the rule is supposed to be April, first week of April, I think. The executive order doesn't even delay that. So he's producing a lot of these documents that are executive action. We are taking the following steps to make you whatever, safer, free, or richer. But if you actually read these executive orders, there's not a lot in them. Well, one thing you touched on that has come up at our briefing several times is that, yes, they hold a signing and they have a photo op. Yeah. And the pool comes in and he's got some people in back of him and he signs a document, but we don't see yeah. what he's signing. Right. Until hours later. It's genius. Right? Yeah. So they say this is what it does. All right. When in fact, uh, oh, but isn't that true not just of this executive order, but overall, and maybe we should be grateful for this, that a lot of them, they're just indications of what he would like to see happen rather than actually accomplishing anything in and of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're statements of administration policy, which I respect, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is is that, you know, this administration is going to change uh, the way uh, investors and, and, and their brokers deal with each other at some point sooner or later. We don't know what the details of that are. Uh, there's one on those stuff here, like, you know, direct the, the, the Defense Department to come up with a plan to defeat ISIS. You know, just saying 
right. I want you to make a plan to defeat ISIS is different than beating ISIS. And, and, and that's the thing that I think we overlook in some of this is we're so fascinated and, and engaged and as reporters. We have to be engaged by the activity they are producing. But we also have to step back and say, you know, just saying you're going to make a plan to beat ISIS doesn't necessarily mean much in terms of executive action. Well, especially on the part of a man who campaigned saying, I have a, a plan. plan to defeat I ISIS. I have a plan to defeat ISIS, and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's my plan, right. and I don't want the generals to hear about or whatever, you know. Right. That, that was his position. So I guess the question I have is maybe not a fair one for you, but is how long are the American people going to, even the Trump supporters, going to fall for this, right? It's a really interesting question. We we do we do have At a some um, point we have a think. panel of uh, uh, Trump voters that we've been t- keeping touch with. Um, we talked to them, I guess, about a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah. Susan Page had a nice story about this. That that so far they're with him. They're they're excited. They think that he's doing things he promised to do. He's uh, uh, you know showing action. He's showing resolve. Um, all of which is true. Uh, he is showing resolve. He is showing action. He is doing things he promised to do. Um, what's going to happen sooner or later? We think. Um, is that uh, rubber hits the road and 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 people uh, in some very poor counties that voted for Donald Trump are going to discover that their health care uh, is changing. Right. Um, they might not like that. Um, they may discover that uh, uh, for whatever reason uh, uh, the economy is shrinking because the debt is rising because he's made giant expenditures. They may discover upset, they're going to have whatever. to pay more for their mortgage than they did before. Precisely. Under something he signed. They may discover that they're uh, financial advisor, if they had one, right. right, could screw them and and get away with it because of something he signed. Correct. If if who if, knows if our else? trade drops precipitously, uh, which re, uh, leads to a shrinking the economy, um, you might see impacts. But it's going to take a while. I mean, it's going to take a while. The, you know, the, it it people don't necessarily equate what's going on in their lives with what's going on in government. You know, the famous example being uh, the the posters that people were holding when Obamacare was first being passed, you know, keep yeah. your hands off my Medicare. Like, it didn't keep the government out of my Medicare. Like, it didn't dawn on them that Medicare was a government program, you know. Uh, this is the sort of thing that takes a while to percolate through. But he already starts out with, I'm just looking at these numbers from the uh, CNN poll, um, with a 40% approval rating, which mm-hmm. is the lowest of any modern president. Fake news. Uh Fake news, right? 46 percent um, say that the Muslim ban is going to make us less safe. Forty-one percent say it's going to make us more safe. Six out of ten Americans say building the wall. We're not going to pay. We shouldn't pay for yeah. building this wall. So, e- already even. Well, but Trump tweeted this morning that oh, all no. the polls that say bad things about me are wrong. I mean, his tweet was. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was. Peter, it, let's check that. It was Trump's basically tweet this morning. Yeah. Tweet. Try to ignore. Uh, I made a conscious decision to ignore his tweets. This but morning. but but wait. But that tweet is critical, because what he's saying is, don't tell me what the polls say. I have my own way of judging what people think, and I'm right, you're wrong. I'm president of the United States. Here's what he said. Here, uh, two tweets this morning. Any negative polls are fake news. <laughs> <laughs> See, you think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> any, any negative polls are fake news, just like the CNN, ABC, NBC polls in the election. Sorry, oh, people yeah. want border security and extreme vetting. And he goes on. I call my own shots largely based on an accumulation, which he spelled correctly, of data, and everyone knows it. Some fake news media in order to marginalize 
lives. So again, the accumulation of data, like the fact that five million people voted illegally in that's this right. Election. But but that's this is this is the fundamental difference between the way you and I have looked at this world for thirty years and the way Donald Trump is looking at this world. And remember, we used to make fun of George uh, W. Bush. No longer for for mocking us. Remember, he used to say, "You guys are, are trapped in some reality based world. We're building a new reality." Donald Trump operates in the same way, where he basically says. All your numbers are nonsense. It's all fake news. You know, I know what the real Americans think. And and he's not going to be thwarted. Paul Singer was from USA Today, usatoday.com. Uh, I want to go back to the role of the media because all of us have done, have done some soul searching. Like you raised the tweets this morning. We hadn't. Mm-hmm. You chose properly, chose appropriately. What, what, what? What is there yeah. any collective wisdom about what to do? No, no. Sadly, there's not. I mean, you know, I mean, like even though the alternative facts when they come out with their alternative facts. I mean, you know, the fam- New York Times famously when he said that four to five million people who were here illegally voted, they said he repeated this election lie. Yeah, they called it. on the front page a lie. Is it a lie? Yeah. Do we call it a lie? Do we say it's a misstatement? You know, you know, I've been talking about uh, fighting words. You remember fighting words? Yeah. Uh, back back in the day when we're like, well, you know, so and so went to the Senate floor and and said that Senator Jones lied, and those are fighting words. We don't use those words. Remember? <laughs> I mean, these were this, yeah, it no, was a that, thing. That sounds so quaint. I know, doesn't it? It's like, oh, <laughs> fighting words. Uh, you know, and, and we're still bound by those rules. We still are. Although it's funny because um, I find that we are bound by those rules more strictly in print than we are online. It's an interesting thing about the news business is because we can yeah. blog stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but but it, but it is an you can interesting. Get away with a lot more than a, on a blog. Oh or yeah. On a social media post than you can. Oh yeah, yeah, and it gets print. as much traffic as as the print story got, yeah. which in which yeah. you're being more restrained. Um, but no, there there is no consensus, and I'm not sure there should be. I mean, we to some degree, the idea of the media achieving a consensus amongst itself of how to respond to Donald Trump simply affirms his allegation that we are an opposition party plotting against him. I prefer the media to all go out there and let's all do our thing. You know, I don't fight for your rights. You don't fight for my rights. I just try to kick your ass and beat you to the story and get a better story than you do. Right. So I've never been a big fan of open government um, because my view is that when government is closed, I'm the only reporter good enough to find out what happened. <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, I'm just being nasty. But but the point is that, you know, I don't think there is a way for the media to organize a plan. I think there is only each news organization making a decision for itself when possible. This is where we're going to stand and pay attention and be alert and cover everything and go in detail. And this is where we're going to not care. This is where we're going to try and let things go. In other words, um, the best way for us to respond is to do our job. Right. Pretty right. much. Yeah. All right. So then the $64,000 question, Paul Singer, is should the media this year go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner or to the Samantha Bee? dinner you know somebody called me and asked me about this like oh well some one of my liberal big, I, I, one know. of my liberal friends i heard that people are putting their tickets up on StubHub. like there are no tickets so if you heard that it's wrong right yeah <laughs> tickets haven't been issued yet exactly um the white house correspondence dinner is our dinner 
It, it is run by the White House Correspondents Association. It raises money for yeah. uh, 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 scholarships. scholarships. It provides awards for good journalism. And and you'd like us to boycott the White House Correspondents Dinner in order to protest the President of the United States, who's not a member of the White House Correspondents Association, as an invited guest usually to this event. What 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 world are we in? Yeah, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop drinking with reporters. That's my goal. Well. I hear what you're saying, but I think the Samantha Bee dinner is going to be a lot more fun. <laughs> oh, well, one year BuzzFeed had a party across the street when they couldn't get in. That was a great time. I had a blast. By the way, I went to the dinner, then I went to the BuzzFeed party. Every I year I, I, I offer right. to return down Paul my tickets. Paul Singer, great to see you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having and me. Thanks for being here today. We'll look this for you tomorrow. Come on back. This is the Bill Press Show.